For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures I will arise and go forth to the house of my young I will arise and go forth to the house of my father I will arise and go forth to the house of my young House of my young Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject the sons of Zion versus the sons of Greece. This is part three of the series. In Romans chapter 4 verse 15, he says, Where there is no law, there is no transgression. If sin's the transgression of the law, what I have to do in court to prove that I've sinned, you have to show me where and how I've transgressed the law. But if there's no law, then there can't be no transgression because I can't break something that doesn't exist. So if Yeshua nailed the law to the cross, then the law isn't in this age, as they say. And if sin's the transgression of the law, and there is no law in this age, then it's not possible to sin. Romans chapter 5 and the end of verse 13, Paul says, Sin is not imputed. Imputed means to count against you. Sin is not imputed when there is no law. Sin is not counted against you when there is no law. Once again, it's not rocket science. It's just understanding the definition that sin's the transgression of the law. So if there is no law, I can't violate it, so it can't be imputed against me. And so the fact that we religiously accept that somehow that the New Testament and the letters that's in the New Testament is trying to tell us that we don't need to follow the Torah means we don't even know what sin is. And so in Romans chapter 6 verse 1, Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. So he just said we shouldn't sin. Well, if we shouldn't sin, that means we should follow the Torah. Because what I got to do to sin is transgress the Torah. So if Yeshua nailed the Torah to the cross and we're not in the age of following the Torah, and a sin is the transgression of the Torah, that means since he died on the cross, the application of the logic is since he died on the cross, it's not possible for anyone to sin. They only sinned before he died on the cross. But now since we're not in the age of law, then no one can sin. Well, it says in Romans chapter 6 verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. You know you get paid for sinning? The Bible says how you get paid for sinning is you die. The wages of sin is death. Well, if sin is the transgression of the law, and if Yeshua nailed the law to the cross, then it's not possible to sin. And if it's not possible to sin, no one's sinned in the last 2,000 years, and so no one's died in the last 2,000 years. Because it's the wages of sin is death. If there's no sin, there's no transgression. And so no one has needed to repent of their sin in the last 2,000 years because 
we're in the age of grace instead of the age of law. So you see how we, we take our accepted religious views and now we read it into the text and think that A, they're determining the proper way in which you get saved and then they're also ruling that we're not supposed to follow the Torah. So do you see how ridiculous to even mention the thought that the text has something to say in a ruling about whether a non-Jew should follow the Torah or not. So then what is the matter in Acts chapter 15? Because you see how the text is read with human reasoning is they're equating circumcision with keeping the law. And this is a dispute between Pharisaic believers because it's the sect of the Pharisees which believed that said it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And so if you just read those words at its surface, it does seem with human reasoning that the meaning of circumcise them to keep the law of Moses is that this was about whether you should keep the law of Moses, which is human reasoning of the words. Instead of having a Hebraic thought, and said, what do those words mean in the culture based upon the debate that they were having? You see, what was being discussed is how does the non-Jew be accepted as a part of the family of the God of Israel? And how can the community accept an individual that was outside the community to be a part of the community? Because the Jewish culture is the Jewish people are a community of people, a family of people. So, ultimately what was being advocated for those that believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, is that they were to follow the Torah under the guidance of the rabbis in Pharisaic Judaism. That's what the argument was about, was not if you should follow the Torah, but how to follow the Torah the proper way. Does any of you know that there's disputes right now among us regarding how we should follow the Torah, the proper way to follow the Torah, and there's big disagreements regarding the answer that within the Messianic community or the Hebraic roots community, well, that's what's going on in the first century. Because there are those that believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, who believe you should follow the Torah, that advocate a rabbinic Jewish approach in doing so. That's what these Pharisees who believed were advocating. To come under rabbinic authority as the way in which you're supposed to follow the Torah in believing that Yeshua is the Messiah. That's what the debate is about. And so in order to really understand that, you need to understand what Pharisaic Judaism or Orthodox Judaism requires of a non-Jew to be accepted as a part of the Jewish community. It's called a conversion. And for a male, what a male has to do to be accepted by the religious Jewish community is to get circumcised. So to be accepted as a part of the covenant people of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the eyes of the rabbis in order to be accepted in the stamp saying we recognize you as being a part of the covenant people of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you're a non-Jew, they require you to be circumcised. And so circumcised means you're a part of the covenant and the covenant says I'm supposed to follow the Torah. That's what the covenant is, that you follow the Torah. And so circumcision is synonymous with conversion and conversion means you're joining the covenant and the covenant was to follow the Torah, so it circumcised them and to follow the Torah. 
So, what is the way that we are to follow the Torah as believers in Yeshua as Messiah in the New Covenant? Well, it says in Ezekiel, in chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, A new heart also will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to keep my judgments and do them. This says, I'm going to put my spirit within you and cause you to follow my Torah. So we're supposed to follow the Torah by the Holy Spirit. If we go to Psalm in chapter 40 and verse 8, it says, I delight to do your will, O my God. I delight to do your will. Your Torah is within my heart. And then, in speaking of the new covenant, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, which is quoted in Hebrews in chapter 8 and verse 10. So we'll look at Hebrews 8, verse 10. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write it in their heart. The new covenant is the Torah written upon your heart. So to try to make the argument about whether they should follow the Torah or not means you don't even know what the new covenant is that you claim you believe you follow instead of the Torah because the new covenant is the Torah written upon our heart. So how did Paul testify that he followed faith in Messiah? In Romans chapter 7 verse 22 Paul writes, I delight in the Torah of God after the inward man. So here's the debate. We have those that believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. We have non-Jewish believers, we have Pharisaic believers in Yeshua's Messiah. So they believe that Yeshua is Messiah. But these Pharisaic believers were brought up to understand the Torah through the teachings of the rabbis. And so now you have the Messiah, he has 12 disciples, and he's teaching the Torah, but is Yeshua teaching his 12 disciples to follow the teachings of the rabbis? Did he say, go into all the world and teach all the world what the rabbis teach, and have all the world follow the rabbis? No, he says go into all the world and teach the name what I've taught you. So the debate is, is how you follow the Torah, not if you should follow the Torah. So are you going to follow the Torah being believers in Yeshua as Messiah, the non-Jews? Are you going to do it according to what the scripture says, by the Spirit of God? Or are you going to submit yourself under the authority of the rabbis in their rulings, even if it contradicts the teachings of Yeshua, the Messiah? So this is the debate that they're having. And it was a heated debate. And by the way, we get into heated discussions today about the same issue. There are those that say that, yes, we believe in Yeshua as Messiah, but we got to follow this strictly the way it's done in Judaism. We need to follow the Siddur exactly how it is. We got to pray three times a day. And so, can we glean? Can we benefit from the understanding of the rabbis? Can it help us understand the scripture better? Of course. Does it mean that we're 100% submitted to what they say and what they teach? No. We're supposed to follow Yeshua by the help and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So, the Torah requires you to be circumcised. So, to even think that there was a debate about whether you should be circumcised or not means you don't even know the Torah. The Torah does require circumcision. And so, in Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, it says, God said unto Abraham, You shall keep my covenant, therefore, you and your seed after you. Keep my covenant. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your seed after you. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised. And so, there's a requirement of circumcision there. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, 
12. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Verse 16. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. What do the prophets say? Jeremiah 4.4. 4. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, you men of Judah and habits of Jerusalem. Okay, the Torah requires circumcision. The Torah requires circumcision of the heart. Most Christians don't know that the Torah requires circumcision of the heart. I just read it to you in Deuteronomy. I read it to you in Jeremiah. Only thing they know somehow is the Torah mentions about circumcision of the flesh. And so then they don't even know some principles of the Torah, which is that if you break any one of the Torah commandments, you've sinned. Sin's the transgression of the law. But not all commandments have equal weight. So Matthew chapter 5 verse 19, Yeshua said, whoever shall break one of the least commandments. Well, if there's least commandments, there's greater commandments. Then Yeshua said in Matthew 23, 23, you've omitted the weightier matters of the law. Weightier? That means some parts and some commandments have greater weight than others. So we need to know the principle that even though it's a commandment to be circumcised in your heart and a commandment to be circumcised in your flesh, that may not have equal weight. Now we have to understand the application of the commandment. So ultimately, it was ruled in Acts chapter 15 that the weightier of them is to be circumcised in the heart. And in his letters, Paul argued from the Torah itself, using Abraham as the example, that when Abraham was called out of Ur the Chaldees, he wasn't circumcised. And his faith was counted as righteousness. In other words, Abraham was circumcised in his heart. Then the God of Israel says, circumcise your flesh. Now that's what the Torah teaches. Well, Judaism, the rabbis say, you're not even a part of the covenant if you're non-Jewish, unless if you're male, you get circumcised. Paul's arguing that's not what the Torah teaches. That's not the example we get from Abraham. Isn't Abraham our father? So what happened in his life? Did God say get circumcised first and then leave where you're where you're at and your family and go to a land that I'll show you? No, he went after he obeyed. Then later he got circumcised. That's the pattern. That's what the Torah teaches. And that became Paul's position. But we don't even know the Torah well enough that we can read the book of Romans and understand Paul's position regarding the Torah and regarding circumcision because somehow we conclude from Paul's writings that he taught you're not supposed to follow the Torah even though it says in Romans chapter 3 verse 31 do we make void the Torah through faith do we do away with it he asks the question God forbid we establish the Torah so how is it that we've come about to think that the New Testament teaches in the letters teach in the writings of Paul teach that the way you're supposed to express your faith in Yeshua as the Messiah is to not follow the Torah well only if you're using Greek thought only if you don't know the Torah if you don't know the Torah principles only if you don't know the culture only if you don't know what Judaism requires for someone that is not Jewish to join their community in other words ignorance and so then there's a ruling here in Acts chapter 15 verse 20 but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols from fornication from things strangled and from blood so they say see the non-Jews are only supposed to do those four things. Yes, but in what context? Was it that that's how they're supposed to live their life? That was the requirement how they live their life? Only do those four things? That means they can kill people? They can steal from people? Because killing and stealing wasn't a part of those four things. So the fact that we say what's those four things and only those four things, you don't even think through what you're saying because that would give you a right to kill and steal. And so it was those four things regarding what? Instead of the ruling of the rabbis to be accepted in the community, you had to do these four things that the God of Israel would accept you as part of his community.
community family while believing in Yeshua as Messiah. It's to be accepted into his community family. To demonstrate what? That you've forsaken pagan ways and you're pursuing the God of Israel and you're pursuing holiness. That was the basis of the four things. So Leviticus 11 verse 45, we have the principle. You shall be holy for I am holy. So because the God of Israel is holy, he wants his people to be holy. It says in Psalm 29.2, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Hebrews 12.14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So this is a basic principle of the Torah that he wants a holy people. Okay, so how do you get a holy people? Well, you abstain and you show that you're abstaining from these four things. Because actually, while saying that we're not supposed to follow the Torah is ultimately the conclusion that people get from Acts 15, they don't even realize those four things that they're concluding that you're not supposed to follow the Torah, that those four things come from the Torah. They're in Leviticus chapter 17 through 20. So they're given a Torah ruling. And then they say from Acts 15, you know, the determination was that the non-Jews are not supposed to follow the Torah, but they don't even mention that they went to Jerusalem to discuss the matter. Why'd they go to Jerusalem? Well, because the Torah says if there's a debate amongst you about how you should do things, you should go to Jerusalem to resolve the matter. So now they're following the Torah and making their decision, and then we conclude that their decision was to not follow the Torah when they followed the Torah and making their decision. And if all this is the case, how come thousands and thousands and millions of people accept the interpretation of the text? Because we're all Greeks. We all have Greek thought, and none of us know the Torah. And so, from the art scroll of Leviticus, in the introduction on pages 18 and 19, it says, the Torah uses the term holiness specifically with regard to three areas. Idolatry, sexual immorality, and forbidden foods. The Torah uses the term holiness specifically with regard to three areas. Idolatry, sexual immorality, and forbidden foods. Ones who indulge in these things is called tamay or contaminated. And so these things, idolatry, sexual immorality and forbidden foods, is what the ruling was based upon. Number one, that you abstain from idols. In Exodus chapter 20 verse 2 it says, I am the Lord your God. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make unto you any graven image. So we're not to worship idols. So from the commentary in the Torah to Deuteronomy on page Page 377, Moses Nachmanides of the Ramban writes, Whoever acknowledges the kingdom of heaven denies idols and seeks to follow the Torah. So we can see in Leviticus chapter 19 how being holy is linked with not following idols. Leviticus 19.2 You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Turn you not unto idols. So this is a commandment not only to the native born, but to the stranger. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 2 Whoever he be of the children of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn in Israel that gives any of his seed to Molech. Molech is an idol. Verse 5 I will set my face against that man and against his family and I will cut him off. So we're going to have the same pattern for all four things. Number two, abstain from fornication. In Leviticus chapter
chapter 18, verse 3, it says, After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein you dwelt, you shall not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, you shall not do. Neither walk in their ordinances. Once again, from the art scroll of Leviticus, page 318, it explains that this chapter is the first of two that deals with the laws of immorality and forbidden sexual relationships. Rabbi Arba Bonnell notes that the chapter begins with the exhortation to Israel not to imitate the deeds of the Egyptians whom they have left or the deeds of the Canaanites. Leviticus chapter 17 forbade the consumption of blood and the slaughter of animals to demons of the field which were common abominations in Egypt. Sexual immorality, however, was rampant in Canaan. This is the first of two chapters devoted to forbidden sexual relationships. This chapter lists those relationships that are forbidden and Leviticus chapter 20 lists the punishment for their violation. So, in the Torah, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 20, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife. Verse 22, you shall not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Verse 23, neither shall you lie with any beast to defile yourself, neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down there too. It is confusion. So, these commandments are not only for the native born, but for the stranger as well. Leviticus 18.26 You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations neither any of your own nation nor any stranger that sojourns among you. Whoever shall commit any of these abominations shall be cut off. So look, it links the commandment to be holy with refraining from sexual immorality. Leviticus 20 verse 7 Sanctify yourselves therefore and be holy. Verse 10 And the man that commits adultery with another man's wife, even he that commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, shall be put to death. And so, these areas of sexual immorality is being linked with, if you commit sexual immorality, you're not living a holy life. And so, the God of Israel commands holiness, so he wants us to refrain from sexual immorality. Number three, and from things strangled. And what this is referring to is the way that you kill an animal. You might say kosher slaughter. Well, you're killing an animal a certain way because there's certain animals that the Torah says that you should eat and not eat. So what's linked with the proper way to kill an animal is the food that you're eating. And the food that you eat is linked with holiness as well. In Leviticus chapter 11 verse 7 it says a pig is unclean. So in Leviticus chapter 11 verse 45 it says you shall be holy for I am holy. Make a difference between the unclean and the clean between the beast that may be eaten and the beast that may not be eaten. So once again the commandment to be holy is linked with the food that we eat. Then finally, number four, abstain from blood. It says in Leviticus 17 verse 10, And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourns among you, that eats any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eats blood, and will cut him off from among his people. And so, therefore, if we really understood the Torah, that this is a Torah ruling regarding the non-Jew, and the ruling comes from Leviticus chapter 17 through 20, where it's commanded of the stranger that they adhere to these things. 
to demonstrate that they're pursuing the God of Israel and the holiness that he wants from his people. And so this is the reason that was given for the ruling. So if we really understood the Torah, we can't conclude that this is a ruling that is based upon not following the Torah when the ruling itself is a Torah-based ruling. And it's a ruling about how should the Gentiles conduct their lives. And and if they conduct their lives in this way, they're going to be accepted by the God of Israel, and they should be accepted by his followers as well. So this is an example of how we are in a battle, the sons of Zion against the sons of Greece, and how Greek thinking comes in opposition to Hebraic thinking. Greek thinking advocates you not to follow the Torah, but Hebraic thinking is that's the way in which you're to live your life unto the God of Israel. So I pray that the message has been a blessing to you. Happy Hanukkah, and may this help you in living your daily lives. Well, that's going to conclude part three of the series on the subject, the sons of Zion versus the sons of Greece. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.